Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We're going to be reading the entire chapter, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the disciples that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that you remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, today we're going to be looking at a monumental event in the life of the disciple Peter. He went from being failure-prone, impulsive, and brash, to be a person who was ministering with power, filled with boldness, leading with authority. How did that transformation, how that, did that change take place in his life? Well, for one thing, Peter was not a quitter. He continued to have a strong desire to serve his Lord in whatever capacity God had in mind for him. He was determined to stay in the game. He failed when he denied his Lord three times, but he didn't quit. Judas failed too, but Judas had a different approach. He didn't seek God's forgiveness In fact, he gave in to despair, and he went out and hung himself in suicide. But Peter was different. He dealt with his downfall in a different way. He stayed in the game. Peter experienced a turnaround in his life because he found a new source of power. He found power in God's forgiveness. He found power in being a team player. And he found awesome, world-changing, overcoming, life-transforming power in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you recall what happened on that first Pentecost. Luke 2 tells us that when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples on that day, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up to speak, and he he proclaimed a sermon about Jesus, about his life and his death and his resurrection on Easter morning. And the people there who had gathered in Jerusalem listened to that message, and 3,000 people responded by receiving Jesus as their Savior. And they were baptized, and they were added to the Christian church on that day. What a transformation when 54 days earlier, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter had denied his Lord three times. Peter's denial of Christ is one of those events that appears in all four Gospels. As you are no doubt aware, even though the Gospels never contradict themselves, they don't always do the same thing. Some have stories about this event, and others have stories about another event, and some have more detail on some events than on other events. Take, for example, the birth of Jesus. Luke gives us a very complete account of the birth of Jesus and what transpired when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But John doesn't even mention 
the birth of Jesus. And so there's a great variety in how the Gospels tell the story of Christ. Some stories are in one Gospel, some are in two, some are in three, and some are in all four. Not many, however, are in all four Gospels, but some are. The feeding of the 5,000 is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so is the denial of Peter. Peter's denial of Jesus is included in all four Gospels. And I think the reason for that is that the story of Peter's denial helps us to be encouraged. It reminds us that no one is immune to failure. It can happen to anyone, even someone who is close to the Lord. And secondly, even the biggest failure can result in a prominent change that results in a comeback that brings praise and honor and glory to God. Peter and the other disciples are now in Galilee. It has been a few weeks now since the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus has appeared to his disciples two times in the upper room, but now he tells them to go to Galilee, and he tells them that he is going to come there, and he's going to see them and be with them again. And so there they are, waiting in Galilee for the promised return of Jesus to fellowship with them once more. And I get the impression that time was hanging heavy on their hands, especially for somebody like a brash and impulsive Peter. He was tired of waiting, just sitting around looking for the Lord to come. And so one day he said to his friends who were gathered there with him, I am going to fish. And they all followed his lead and they decided we will go with you. They saw that boat that was on the shore. The nets were all folded and put in place. They hadn't been used for a while now, but they were eager to get their hands wet and to get involved once again in the task of fishing, which had been part of their life for so long. John tells us that they toiled all night, just like in the old days. With the net played out, alongside of the boat as they swept back and forth off the dropout, straining the oars, the little boat groaning and creaking in the darkness. But they caught nothing. And as the eastern sky shaded into a light gray, and the first hints of pink began to dawn on the horizon, The disciples said, let's call it quits. Let's call it a day. Let's pack up and and go home. We're not getting anywhere because the fish simply are not available right now. They were tired. They were hungry. And it didn't help their mood any when as they turned in toward the shore, they heard a voice calling out to them from the misty twilight, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, someone shouted rather shortly with a hint of arrogance and annoyance in his voice. Then the man on the shore called back, Throw your net on the other side of the boat, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. For a moment the disciples sat there in the stillness of the dawn. 
The only sound was the gentle lapping of the water along the hole. And then with a shrug, they tossed the net over onto the right side of the boat and it played out and suddenly it came alive with fish, 153 of them to be exact, big ones as John the disciple recalls that story many years afterward. As an old man, John could see all of the details that took place on that day as if it were yesterday. The disciples strained to to haul in the bulging, wriggling net, but it was too heavy. There was no way they could bring that net on shore, on into the boat with all of those fish. And as John gazed over to the shore, some memories came back to him of an event that had taken place about three years earlier, when a similar event took place, and and. Someone had called out to them from the shore, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and they had done so, and another miraculous catch of fish had taken place. And as John remembered that event, he whispered to Peter, This is the Lord. And when Peter heard those words, brash, impulsive Peter, he jumped up, he threw off his outer garment, he jumped into the water and made his way toward the shore. The others followed in the boat, dragging the net that was too heavy to bring on that ship. And when they were all together on the beach, they shared a strange breakfast with Jesus. We're not told what happened during that breakfast time. Perhaps it was a time of silence and, and there was no easy joking around the fireplace because the disciples were not altogether comfortable sitting there with the Lord. After all, how could they be comfortable with someone who had died and, and then rose back to life again? How could they relax in the presence of the supernatural? And then when the meal was finished, Jesus turned and spoke to Peter. And Peter, we may presume, had already been forgiven by Jesus because we are told in two of the Gospels, in in Luke and in Paul, that Jesus appeared to Peter later on that first Easter Sunday. We're not told what took place during that time when Peter had that encounter with Jesus on that first Easter, but no doubt it must have been a painful experience for the proud Peter to acknowledge his failure before the Lord. But now was time for Peter to be restored to a position of leadership. Now it was time for Peter to be given new orders of instruction. Jesus wants to restore Peter publicly before the other disciples and give him a position of leadership as they move forward to plant and grow the New Testament church. Peter had publicly failed, but Jesus still had plans for Peter. As far as Jesus was concerned, Peter was still one of the twelve. As far as Jesus was concerned, Peter was the one to whom he said, You are the rock. As far as Jesus was concerned, Peter was the one who said, to whom he had said, 
On this rock I will build my church. And in this conversation, Jesus reinstates Peter and explains to him what his life is going to be like from now on. Peter is about to make a comeback, and he's going to play the second half of his life differently than he played the first half of his life. What Jesus said to Peter applies to you and me as well, because Jesus gave Peter a game plan for his life, a game plan that you and I can also apply to our own lives in order to help us fulfill the calling that God has placed before each one of us. It's a game plan that has to be used by anyone who wants to turn his or her life around. If you want to make a comeback, there are three things that you need to do. First of all, focus on loving Jesus. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. More than these refers to the other disciples. Do you love me more than they do? That's an interesting question. Why did Jesus ask that question of Peter? Perhaps it was because Peter was the one who had said earlier, even if all fall away, I will not. So when Jesus asked Peter this question, he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Jesus taught that love is more than a feeling, more than an emotion. Love is action. Love is something that you do. Jesus said, if you love me, you must obey me. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and then he followed that up with his command to take care of his people. Feed my lambs. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. The point of this conversation is, first of all, to help Peter refocus on his love for Jesus. That is job number one for the Christian. Because more than anything else, the Christian life is a love relationship between you and Jesus. That's the most important thing that you and I can do. We have to fall in love with Jesus. In his book, The Case for Faith, author Lee Strobel tells about a meeting with Charles Templeton. In the 1950s, Charles Templeton was a famous evangelist, often speaking to crowds as many as 10,000 in one night. He sometimes held crusades together with Billy Graham. They would share the pulpit together in massive crusade meetings. But as time went along, Templeton began to have some doubts about the Christian faith, about the reliability of the scriptures, about creation versus evolution, about heaven and hell, and some other things. And eventually, he stopped preaching. 
1996, he wrote a book entitled Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. So when Lee Strobel started writing his book, he decided that he would interview Templeton to see if there was some deeper insight into some of the reasons that were present that led him to turn his back on the Christian faith and leave his ministry of preaching the gospel. They debated some points back and forth, and and then Strobel asked Templeman what he thought about Jesus personally. Templeton said, he was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. He was intrinsically the wisest person that I have ever encountered in my life and in my reading. And Strobel responded by saying, it sounds as if you care deeply for him. And Templeton said, yes. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. And then Strobel said the old man's voice cracked as tears came to his eyes. And then he said slowly, I miss Jesus. The Christian life is first and foremost a love relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants you to love him. When Jesus reinstated Peter, he didn't ask him, are you sorry? Are you ashamed of what you did? Will you promise that you'll never do something like that again? Jesus didn't ask those questions. Because he was concerned about the most important question. And that question he asked three times. Peter Do you love me? And the first two times Jesus asked that question of Peter, he used the Greek word agapio, which is the highest form of love, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. But Peter, in his response, said, Lord, you know I love you. But he used a different Greek word for love, the word philio, which refers to brotherly love or, or friendship love. And then the third time Jesus asked that question, he changed the verb, the Greek verb, from agapio to filio, and he said to Peter, do you love me with a friendship, brotherly kind of love? And Peter looked back at Jesus and said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus knows whether you love him. Jesus knows whether you love him with the kind of compassionate, self-giving, sacrificial kind of love. Or he knows if you love him with a lesser kind of love, but you would like to love him more. Jesus knows if you are desirous of living a fully committed, loving relationship with him. You can't hide anything from him. 
He knows it all. Jesus understands where you're coming from. And the most important thing he wants to hear from you is that you love him. And if you want to have a change in your life, a a transformation in your life, a turnaround in your life like Peter did, you have to focus on that first of all. Focus on loving Jesus. And that brings us to the second thing that we find in this passage. We have to put our focus also on loving others. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. And Peter said yes each time. But then Jesus followed that up with a command. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And there's a principle here in this story, in this comeback. Your life is now about serving others. Regardless of what your life may may have been about yesterday, whether it was about making money or, or having fun or enjoying sports or being successful or, or hunting and fishing or, or football or music or whatever your passion in life may have been, regardless of what your focus in life has been, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that has to be changed in order to focus on serving others. Don't only focus on what you like, what you do, what you enjoy, but focus on ministry to the people around you. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Your life right now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, has to focus on service. And your attitude must be, what can I do for you? When you go to church on Sunday, look for someone to serve. When you go to work on Monday, look for someone to serve. Your life is now about being a servant. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be truly happy are those who have learned the secret of service. Look for ways to take care of people. With every person you meet, ask yourself this question, if not in words, then with your attitude. What can I do for you? To turn things around, you need to focus on loving Jesus, first of all. And then secondly, you need to focus on serving others. And that brings us to the third point that we find here in this passage. We have to focus on staying focused. Jesus told Peter that he would live a hard life. And then he said to him bluntly, follow me. 
And in the next verse, verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that classic? Isn't Peter just like you and me? He says, what about him? You're telling me that I'm going to have a hard life. You're telling me that I'm going to have to suffer. You're telling me that I'm going to have a difficult death. What about him? What about John? Is he going to have a hard life too? Is he going to have to suffer? What trials is he going to have to go through? There are some people who can't do their job effectively because they're always looking around at other people. Always wondering about what's going to happen to this person or that person or the next person. But successful people know how to focus on the task that God has given to them without being troubled by the task that God has given to somebody else. Successful people know how to focus on getting their job done and they're not prone to petty jealousy or to office gossip. If you want to experience a comeback, then you need to focus on staying focused. And that's a nice way of saying, don't be a busybody. Don't stick your nose into other people's responsibilities. Just do your job, the job that God has called you to do. Life is far too difficult to be meddling in what happens to other people. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself, verses 18 and 19. And you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to identify the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Christian tradition tells us that Peter died as a martyr for the Christian faith. The Bible doesn't give us details concerning his death. But it does tell us that the kind of death that Peter was going to go through was a kind of death that would bring glory and honor and praise to God because Peter would be faithful to the end. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And that's interesting because Jesus said, you're going to have a hard life. You're going to die for me. But notice what he didn't tell him. He didn't say, Peter, you will witness and preach to thousands. You will lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed. You will see some awesome and wonderful miracles. You will be a factor in the change of of history and in the founding of the Christian church. Your writings will be read by millions of people during the next 2,000 years. And all of those things are true. But at this particular point in time, Peter needed to hear the words that would help him keep his perspective on his life and stay focused on serving Jesus. And in the same way, God has great things in store for you. 
If you're willing to be fully committed to him, then a single glimpse of the glory that he has reserved for you is probably more than you can endure and handle right now. He has great things in store for you. But that's not what you need to worry about right now. Right now, you have to remember that there's going to be a price that you have to pay for being faithful. If you're going to be a devoted follower of Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. Don't just think that because you follow Jesus, life around the bend will be one easy street after another. There will be heartaches. There will be trials. There will be setbacks now and then. But ultimately, there will be victory. Ultimately, God will be glorified. And you will bask in the victory that only he can give. Do you want to make a comeback? There's a price that you need to pay. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Don't mind other people's business but get focused on staying focused. Get your eyes on God and what God has called you to do. We've seen a tremendous turnaround in Peter's life. He went from despair to hope, from defeat to victory, from failure to success. And it all happened in a fairly short period of time. Just 54 days between his denial on the eve of, his cruci- of Jesus' crucifixion and that powerful sermon that Peter preached on Pentecost Day. The key principle in making a comeback is that you've got to stay in the game. You've got to be engaged in the process. The only person that God can't use is a person who quits. If you're serious about staying in the game, then you need to experience God's power. The power of forgiveness. The power of teamwork. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're ready to make a comeback, you need to get focused. You need to be focused on loving Jesus. That's where it starts. That's the most important thing you can do. Get focused on loving Jesus, because that's what he wants most from you. Secondly, get focused on serving others, because that's what God has called you to do. Your life is now that of a servant. And then get focused on staying focused. Don't let anything take your eyes off what God has called you to do. And if you will give yourself lovingly to Jesus and trust him to work his power in and through you, He will give to you, like he gave to Peter, the comeback of a lifetime. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Peter. A brash, impulsive person who sometimes made mistakes and who failed his Lord at a very crucial time in Jesus' life. But a person who stayed in the the game, who received forgiveness and healing and cleansing and was reinstated by Jesus and became a mighty leader in the life of the New Testament church. And his example and his teaching continues to influence our lives together. Help us to follow his example. Help us to stay focused on loving Jesus, on serving others, and on what you have called each of us to do so that your name may be honored and glorified through our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.